Well, if you will, join me in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27 this morning. It's Mission Sunday here, next week's Vision Sunday, and just get the opportunity as we look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27 to, to think about how God has given us incredible freedom in Christ for the sake of mission. And so, um, go ahead and turn there. It'll be on the screen um, when we read it here shortly, um, but you can be turning there if you have your own Bible this morning. So, freedom. We love it, right? I mean, for me personally, Braveheart and The Patriot were two of my favorite movies growing up. There was this thought like that I would just yell out freedom like Mel Gibson does in the middle or at the end of that movie. But um, I decided not to because I figure actually a whole lot of you have probably never seen Braveheart. So um, that's a sign of my age. But freedom is this beautiful thing, something we should be incredibly grateful for. And it's a gift that we've been given to steward with care. Like any gift that we have, though, if it's taken to an extreme, then freedom can actually become harmful. This seems totally counterintuitive to us as Americans, right? But as Christians, we know that any good gift from God, we do it all the time with all kinds of things, any good gift from God can actually become an idol. And when it's taken from the proper place in the kingdom of God, then our freedom can be harmful to us as well as others, we know some of this. We experience this some in our own daily lives, how freedom, when it becomes an idol, when it becomes just kind of um, limitless, uh, then it becomes distorted and harmful. For instance, the freedom to pursue endless choices. What kind of personal anxiety do each of us experience on a regular basis because of just the endless choices that continue to multiply exponentially? I looked up on Amazon, uh, toilet brushes. Did you know that there are over 10,000 different kinds of toilet brushes uh, that you can purchase on Amazon? All right, maybe that doesn't get you, um, you know, caught up in like paralysis analysis, um, but for me, water bottles, um, they do. Like my wife will give me a hard time and she'll tell you about it, about how I research for the perfect water bottle. Well, on Amazon, there are 90,000 different kinds of water bottles. There's simply way too many choices out there, right? And we just begin get bogged down by the, the amount of freedom we have to choose. Even when you walk into the grocery store, right? The different kinds of ketchup or um, condiments on the, the, the aisles. Like, I mean, if, unless you are just like my wife is devoted to a particular kind of ketchup because her Pittsburgh Steelers play at Heinz Field, then like your choices are practically endless, and Barry Schwartz, in his work, The Paradox of Choice, says this, autonomy and freedom of choice are critical to our well-being, and choice is critical to freedom and autonomy. Nonetheless, though, modern Americans have more choice than any group of people has ever before, and thus presumably more freedom and autonomy, we don't seem to be benefiting from it psychologically. There's we have less satisfaction with the, the products we buy. We have greater anxiety as we, we go out to make those choices. I mean, how many of us get stuck in analysis paralysis when we're making a decision? Or we refuse to be the one who chooses the restaurant because like, we, don't, like, we can't figure out what we want, right? Or we spend more time scrolling through the options on Netflix than actually watching a show on Netflix, like, the freedom to pursue endless choices can, can actually cause great anxiety and discomfort. It also can cause harm to other people. The freedom to pursue our comforts without end can have serious consequences for others. Our freedom to purchase our cheap, comfortable fashion 
or other goods that make our life convenient and comfortable has far too often been made possible by the lack of freedom and suffering of others across the globe being abused by countries and corporations that could care less. Freedom is meant for far more than endless choices and personal comforts. Jesus frees us for a better purpose. Freedom is a beautiful thing, but it's for a better purpose. Let's read 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, <coughs> we come to you this morning grateful for the freedom you've given us in Christ, grateful for the freedom you've given us to worship you in this place that And across the globe, they don't experience this, God. Lord, we are grateful. But Lord, help us to recognize ways in which we have turned that freedom into an idol in our own hearts, in which you've given it to us for a better purpose, for your glory and the good of others. Help us, God, to see with fresh eyes, God. Holy Spirit, fill us during this time. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. God, for each, how you want to apply this to our hearts and make us more like Jesus today. God, for those in here that have never experienced the freedom, the incredible freedom that Christ provides from sin and from death and freedom to be in relationship with you, God, I pray that you would transform hearts and lives today. Allow people to experience that for the very first time. God, I pray that you would empower me with your spirit that as we, as we dive into your word now, they would be your words that would be on display, that Jesus is what people would see this morning. And that we would be more in love with Jesus and living more like Jesus when we leave this place than when we first entered in. And I pray all of this in his name. Amen. <coughs> the big point of 1 Corinthians 9 is that Jesus frees us for a better purpose. Jesus frees us for a better purpose. Paul's life puts that on full display here. 
It's a life that, that so many admire, right? The, the kind of life that, um, that, that we, we would call beautiful, but far too few of us pursue. Paul gives up his freedom and he makes sacrifices for the good of others. We see the beauty in that innately, how someone lays down their life out of love for others. It's part of the beauty of Christ and it's the, the kind of life that Paul is putting on display here in 1 Corinthians 9. But how do we get there? How can we actually live for that better purpose in our lives? While Western and Americanized freedom has distorted and twisted the freedom that God intends to provide, Jesus frees us for a better purpose. Our culture worships freedom, freedom from boundaries, freedom from obligations, freedom from others. But Jesus provides freedom from self for the sake of others. See, freedom like our culture promotes actually isolates us. As we wholeheartedly pursue personal freedom and autonomy to pursue our own desires, we lose sight of the costs in our own lives as well as in the lives of others. It's a pursuit rooted in the very beginning of history, of human history. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, and when we look at how God had created things in the beginning, and what happens, there was remarkable freedom in the beginning with Adam and Eve. God had, was, they were walking with God in a garden, day in and day out, enjoying a rich relationship with him and, and just utter freedom, except one boundary, with not to eat of one tree of the fruit of the garden. They had one boundary, and yet they chose autonomy. They chose, instead of letting God to be king, and to set the bounds for them so that they could enjoy freedom in so many other ways, they chose, no, I want to be king. I mean, that's the very essence of sin, is that we want to be king of our own lives rather than letting God, the all-wise, good creator of the universe, be king. And as a result of choosing autonomy, we see that isolation sets in. Fear and brokenness set in. Because what happens as they take of that fruit, they immediately begin to blame one another. They hide from God. They'd literally just been walking with God in perfect relationship in the garden before that. Walking with God. I mean, can you even imagine? They were walking with him. And yet, when they chose their own personal, completely, they wanted unlimited autonomy. When they chose unlimited autonomy for themselves instead of a submission to God and the freedom that he provides, they immediately experienced isolation from the giver of life and they experienced isolation and brokenness in their own relationships. Fears set in as they were suddenly fearful of God. They were fearful of one another. And now we all have this kind of autonomy. Not the kind of freedom and autonomy that God intends to give to us, but but the kind of autonomy that, that says, I'm going to be king. We live out of that sinful nature. And we're also bound by it. And we're slaves to sin is one way that Paul writes about it elsewhere. We're slaves to our desires. We're driven by that. And, and we experience the consequences of that. We're isolated from God. And, and apart from someone intervening, we are going to be isolated from God for all of eternity. And we're going to continue to have brokenness in our world for all of eternity because Unless someone intervenes, this utter and complete freedom and autonomy breaks things down. This thing called sin, it breaks it down. But here's the good news. 
Here's the incredible news, that Jesus, Jesus used his freedom to free us once again. Jesus used his freedom to free us. This is what we see in Philippians chapter 2. And I reference this passage so often, but it is such a critical passage for understanding Jesus. It sums up so much about what he did and how he lived for our sake. We see here in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, how Jesus uses his freedom to free us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, he had the freedom, he had the rights to live as God and to enjoy the glory of heaven for all of eternity alongside his Father and the Spirit of God in a perfect relationship. And yet he stepped down out of the comforts of heaven and he gave up his rights and privileges as the Son of God in order to suffer for our sake so that we could have freedom. He used his freedom. He made his choice to take on the consequences for our sin, to endure uh, the, the brokenness and the suffering that you and I deserved to go to the cross, becoming obedient to the point of death, going to the cross and suffering there, bearing the weight of the wrath for our sin that we deserve, not him. He lived the perfect life. Even as he came in human form, he lived a perfect life, completely sinless. He didn't abuse freedom. He didn't abuse anything of the good gifts that God has given us. But rather, Jesus took our consequences and he freed us from our fruitless efforts to live autonomously, to, to live by, by picking up ourselves by our own bootstraps, by, by trying to find satisfaction in ourselves and what we can accomplish and what we can gain in this life. He frees us from the endless pursuit of, that, that is going to fall far short when it's pursued by self-satisfaction. He frees us from the endless, fruitless pursuit of self-justification. Of when we're trying to make a name for ourselves, we're trying to establish ourselves and, um, by what we accomplish, whether it's in studies and in a career or it's in some religious endeavor and checking off a bunch of religious boxes. He frees us from this endless grind of a pursuit that does not bring life, that never will, never can. Jesus frees us from that by dying in our place and offering us grace. Offering us grace. Taking on our sin. And you can enjoy the freedom he gives today to be back into relationship with God. You just got to embrace the fact that you can't get there on your own. That you can't do it by being king of your own life. You've got to turn from being king of your own life and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, or in other words, King and you can enjoy that freedom right here today. Jesus frees us from ourselves. He frees us by the work he did. He frees us for ourselves for the sake of others, for the sake of glorifying God and loving our neighbors. But what exactly does that look like? 
If that's what Jesus does, if that's the good news of the gospel, then what does that look like? What's it look like to live that out? Because that's what Paul does. That's what we see Paul living out is this, this Christ-formed life, this cruciformed life that Jesus lived. He's modeling this once again. And later in 1 Corinthians, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so what we see here is that we're called to live out this freedom then for a better purpose. What is that better purpose of Christ-like freedom? It's what we see here in 1 Corinthians 9. It's making disciples that make disciples. The better purpose of Christ-like freedom is making disciples that make disciples. And that's the way we talk about mission here at Anthem. <coughs> and that's what Paul is talking about in this passage. He starts in verse 19. He says, for though I am free from all, I have chosen, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. This is the better purpose that Paul's talking about, winning people. He says that word five times in this short passage. He says, the passage really starts this way. I mean, in, in the original language, like, it starts with the word freedom. Like, freedom I have, but I chose to enslave myself for others, that I might win more of them. And then he says, I do this to win the Jews. I do this to win those under the law. I do this to win those outside the law. I, I do this to win the weak. And then another way he talks about this idea of what we, we talk about is making disciples that make disciples. He goes on to say, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Not that it's him that's doing the saving, that, that he might be part of people coming to know that freedom that only Christ can provide. And he goes on in verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. See, Paul's bigger aim, I think when we hear the word win, for those of us that have been in kind of Christian circles for a while, we hear that word win and we just think like, get them saved, right? Like get them to pray a prayer, like win them to Jesus and then move on, like reach them and then let someone else teach them. Right? Like that's what we hear when we hear win, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. When you take the full picture, Paul's aim is yes, it includes conversion to Jesus, but it's bigger than mere conversion. Winning them to Jesus means a full embrace of the gospel and the call to follow. Saving them means more than mere fire insurance, but but a full salvation, a rescue into a kingdom under the rule of a king, a good and gracious king, but a king nonetheless. And sharing in the blessings means, means actually living in a community of faith, growing together, caring for one another, and locked arms on mission together. He has a big picture of mission here that is this idea of making disciples that make disciples. And it's part of what sharing in the blessings is all about, that it's then passed on to others. We have a mission as God's people. And Paul says our freedom is intended to be used for that great mission. Christopher Wright says this about mission. He says, mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. This isn't just something we kind of add to the things that we do as a church, rather. But rather, we as God's people were made. God has gathered himself a people for his one great purpose, for his one great mission. We do that by making disciples that make disciples. But that mission of God is so much bigger than us. Like we as a church are, were made for mission. We were saved, we were created as a family, and we were freed by Jesus for a great purpose that's talked about a variety of ways in Scripture. And 
early in Genesis chapter one, it's talked about be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth because we as image bearers of God are called to reflect his glory. And so Adam and Eve were given this mission in the beginning to fill the earth, to to multiply and fill it with his image, little mirrors of who God is spread out across the world for his glory. Like that's the big picture mission of God. And so that's how it's talked about early on in the Old Testament. But then we see Paul talk about it as win them, save them, share with them. And we talk about it drawing on language from Matthew 28. Make disciples that make disciples. And connecting it to our vision that that Matt's going to talk about next week. Helping people know, love, and obey Jesus. So that Columbia and beyond is filled with people who reflect Jesus. And that that would spread to the ends of the earth in the way that we were originally intended in Genesis 1. Like that's how we fulfill God's big mission for us. We have been freed for this incredible purpose of spreading God's glory to the ends of the earth and inviting every person possible into the life and joy and goodness of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? We get to be a part of this, this, uh, <coughs> this mission that, that goes from beginning to end of time, that, that, that goes from Missouri to the ends of the earth. Like this mission that all of the universe was created for, we get to be a part of that. There is a better purpose for our freedom than living for ourselves. The better purpose of Christ-like freedom is making disciples that make, that make disciples. And leaning into that, using our freedom for the glory of God and the good of others. That's what Paul's all about here. And that's what he's calling us to when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because Christ was all about that mission as well. But what's the pathway? We're talking about the purpose of Christ-like freedom. But much of this passage is about the pathway of Christ-like freedom. How do we actually live out that purpose? How do we utilize our freedom in a way that does glorify God, that makes disciples, that makes disciples? (coughs) The pathway of Christ-like freedom is this. Choose servanthood. Choose servanthood. Verse 19, this is what we see Paul do. He says, freedom, I'm free from all. And though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant all, that I might win more of them. Paul made himself. He chose it. In his freedom, he chose that path. He wasn't forced to it, but he was gifted this freedom, and he chose with that freedom a better purpose than living for himself. He chose with that freedom to make himself a servant of all. And look, this isn't just just so we're really clear, this isn't just for like the spiritual superstars like Paul, right? This isn't just for the, the, the missionaries on the mission field or vocational missionaries or those that have been walking with Jesus for a long time. No, 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 no. Like, we know the verse I've referenced in 1 Corinthians 11 multiple times already. That to be imitators of me as I'm imitating Christ. We're all called to this. We're all called to choose servanthood. This isn't just a call for a select few for the super spiritual. This is a call for all of us, that when we experience the freedom and the life and the rescue of Jesus Christ, that we would then choose to lay our lives down for others through serving others. This is the path of Christ himself. 
And the goal of our lives should be to image Christ to the world around us. We see it in Philippians 2. We see it in Mark 10, 45, where Jesus says, I, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. See, to win people to the love of Christ, to, to make disciples who love like Jesus, Paul knew he must choose the same path of love that Jesus chose, and that's servanthood. Look, Paul doesn't demand his rights. Rather, he chooses not to insist on them. Verse 12 of chapter 9 says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 15 it says, But I have made no use of any of these rights. Paul knew what true freedom looked like. And that's why he wasn't grasping hold of his rights. That's why Jesus didn't grasp hold of his rights in heaven. Paul knew what true freedom looked like. He describes it elsewhere in Galatians 5.13. He says, this is how freedom is intended to be used. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, or in other words, as an opportunity to serve self and your own desires. But through love, serve one another. One commentator says it this way. He says, love sets the bounds to Christian freedom. Love sets the bounds to Christian freedom. And that's what we see Paul doing in this passage. He's bound by the love of Christ. But what's it look like to walk that path? To know that we need to choose servanthood and then to walk that path are, are two different things. So what's it look like to use our freedom for the sake of others, to allow Christ-like love to set the bounds on our lives and on our freedoms? Well, first, I think we could sum up verses 20 to 22 this way, as sympathetic living. Sympathetic living. That's what the pathway of servanthood looks like lived out. <coughs> Sympathetic living. In other words, commit to love people like Christ loves us. Let's read verses 20 to 22 again. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. And to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. Again, this idea of sympathetic living, committing to, to love people like Christ loves us from one of the early church fathers, Augustine. He called it thinking sympathetically. He says this, a person who nurses a sick man becomes, in a sense, sick himself. Not by pretending to have a fever, but by thinking sympathetically how he would wish to be treated if he were sick himself. It's the idea of thinking sympathetically. But then we've got to live that out, right? So we, we think it, but then we've got to live it, right? Paul doesn't become something he isn't, right? That's why multiple times here we see he uses the word as or like, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. 
to those outside the law became as one outside the law. And he, he actually gives like kind of these clarifying nuances that, he, well, I became like this, but even though I wasn't this, right? So Paul's thinking sympathetically. He doesn't become something he isn't, but he steps into their world and their experience and he sacrifices his own rights and preferences for the sake of the mission, for the sake of others, for the sake of God's glory and the good of those he interacts with. Another commentator begins, continues to break this down. And he says the principle that, that Paul outlines in, in 9, 19 to 23 is that he shares the condition of those to whom he ministers and so is conformed to the pattern of his Lord. He imitates Christ's self-emptying humiliation and suffering for others. He becomes like them. He steps into their world, understands them, thinks sympathetically, and then lives out of that sympathy, a servant heart. But true sympathetic living requires something in addition to just mere thinking sympathetically. It involves self-denying commitment. And that's how Paul wraps up this passage. True sympathetic living and sympathetic thinking has got to be taken to that next step of self-denying commitment. And that's what we see in verses 24 to 27. Read this again just to refresh ourselves. We haven't touched on it since earlier. Do Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and bring it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. See, true sympathetic living requires self-denying commitment, and he compares it to athletes training. And, and probably most of us um, downloaded the Peacock app earlier, uh, just a few weeks back, um, if you hadn't already, and you started watching some of the Olympics. Maybe you didn't, maybe you don't enjoy sports at all, but just bear with me, Paul uses this example. And, and so we just think back to what those Olympic athletes go through in order to get to that stage, how they train themselves, how they deny themselves the the, the the pleasures and the comforts that they otherwise would enjoy. But because of this goal set before them, they go through rigor that you and I could hardly even imagine. And that's what Paul's, that's what he's drawing on, right? There were Olympians back in that day. And so he's drawing on this picture that that people would bring their body under self-control. And he's saying, I do that, not for some gold medal, not for some perishable wreath that I can put on my head like they did back in Paul's day, but rather a crown that I can lay at the feet of Jesus for his glory. And that crown being the lives of people that have come to know Jesus because of the mission and the laying down of his own life and his own freedoms. See, freedom does not equal freedom from commitments. The true freedom in Christ leads us to self-denying commitment. We often avoid commitments because we want to keep our options open and freed up, right? There's so many options out there, and we, we're kind of like testing and feeling like, okay, what, like, I don't know what I'm going to do like tomorrow night because I'm still kind of trying to feel out like what's really going to be the funnest or best thing going on. But by avoiding commitments, we actually end up limiting our ability to thrive and to serve others. When we don't commit to a particular people, we don't commit to something that, that we can't live out the fullness of what God has intended us for because He's built us to be committed to him and to be committed to others. 
to use our freedom to choose self-denying commitment. And, and, and here at, at, at Anthem, one of the most incredible ways that we live out making disciples that make disciples is through a commitment. It's through a commitment to what we call community groups. And I think they're, they're changing the, the lingo on connection groups, right? Uh, so we've decided to change it to community groups to emphasize this, this community that we have with one another and the fullness that this community has also been given this mission that we're to live out. And so, um, but we live that out, like that mission of making disciples to make disciples. One of the primary ways we live that out is by committing to a community group. Is in that in that space of committing to other people on a regular week-in and week-out basis, not just this large group gathering, which is important and vital. Uh, we've all felt that throughout the last year and a half, and we see it in Scripture that the gathering is vital. But there, we've also got to have a people that we're deeply committed to, that we're living out this self-denying kind of commitment, this selfless servanthood with. And it's in community groups that we find that, that, that we're making disciples of one another. We're helping one another know, love, and obey Jesus more. And that only happens, it only happens when we live out self-denying commitments to one another. It only happens when we say, yes, I will give up one night a week and I will be there consistently. I will say no to other things that may sound fun. I will say no to other things that, that may be good in many ways, but I'm going to say no because this people, not only do I need them, but they need me. This goes for every one of us in Christ. Like when you are not a part of a community group as a part of Anthem, then you are missing out on, and you're causing others to miss out on what God intends to do through you for others' good as well as in you for your own good. But it takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. It does to set aside that night every week to defend it, to keep up with one another throughout the week, to, to, to actually bear one another's burdens, to lock arms in mission together, to, to help one another know, love, and obey Jesus, to rebuke one another, to pray for one another, to, to come alongside one another so that we can grow in Christ-likeness. That takes sacrifice. It takes a great deal of sacrifice, but man, it is so worth it. It is so worth it. Sharing in the, in Paul, as Paul talks about it earlier in 1 Corinthians 9, sharing in the unending blessings of the gospel. And so I encourage you that, that this is just one really practical, tangible way to begin to live out using your freedom for the good of others. Is over the next few weeks, connection groups are going to be launching all right, they're gonna, we're going to have leaders up here the next couple weeks, and, and I just encourage you, find a place to plug into. Find a people, a small group of people that you can commit to, because that's really where you're going to grow in knowing, loving, and obeying Jesus. That's really where disciples are going to be made of one another. So, Jesus has freed us for a better purpose, church. That better purpose is making disciples that make disciples. And the pathway to that is servanthood. I want to end with this, though. Paul wraps up this passage with this line. He says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. <coughs> See, church, Paul recognized 
the seriousness of proclaiming the gospel, of proclaiming freedom in Christ, of enjoying the blessings of our own, but not following the pattern of Jesus, of enjoying the freedom of the gospel for one's own personal gain. And so, I ask you to reflect on that verse. How is God calling you to use your freedom, not for your own personal gain, lest you be disqualified, right? But, but to use freedom to choose servanthood for the glory of God and the good of others. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you this morning so grateful for the love of Jesus that caused him to step down, to, to lay down his glory in heaven and choose to serve us to the point of death, even death on the cross. God, you are glorious. Your gospel is amazing and and your grace is enough. It's enough for us. It's better than than endless and limitless freedom that this world seeks and pursues. It's it's better. It's life-giving, God, and I pray that we would enjoy it and that we would follow Jesus' path in laying down our freedoms for the sake of others, for your glory and the good of those who don't yet know Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.